Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, I'm doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my buddy and my partner in crime. As we go down this path of the contrary, Julio, how are you doing this evening? I'm I'm doing okay. I I feel that um, we may just not be picking the right westerns, Alex. No, it doesn't seem to be the case thus far. Uh, but uh, at least this time, we didn't have to suffer through it uh, by ourselves. We had help. We did. Uh, even on the piggyback of uh, episode 41, we're here on episode 43, and yet again we're bringing a, a third uh, piece to the puzzle as we are joined once again by Brandon Curtis, who you may remember from our uh, two-episode arc with 48 Hours. Uh, Mr. Curtis, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right. Yeah, he talked so much about uh, another 48 Hours being a Western that we actually brought him back for an actual Western. An actual Western, yes. Uh, as we are here today to visit back to 1969, uh, the dawning of a new age in Hollywood, and we are here to visit the Wild Bunch. Do you know that Summer of 69, the Brian Adams song, is about the Wild Bunch? I did. Yep. But thank you. <laughs> uh, the Wild Bunch, of course. Uh, I also thought Summer of 69 was about all their uh, dalliances with women in the movie. There, there's plenty of those in the film. Um, but uh, The Wild Bunch, of course, directed by Sam Pickapaw, written by uh, the director as well as uh, Wallen Green. Um, quite the uh, legendary Western, despite 
some of my feelings coming out of this. It's quite beloved. Uh, I believe we have some of the resources to say so. Yes, I'll let you know that I could only find one negative quote, but there's plenty of red tomatoes, uh, starting with Pauline Kael from The New Yorker, who says, it's a traumatic poem of violence with imagery as ambivalent as Goya's. Total film, with no credit to the writer, says, the melancholy, the desolation, it's one of the saddest westerns ever made. John G. Puccio from Is Movie Metropolis. Is to Yuma, the remake from 2007? That's sad for a different reason. Ben Foster. Uh, John Puccio from Movie Metropolis says, a landmark Western and a good, thoughtful, rousing adventure besides. Scott Weinberg from eFilmCritic.com says, there's some wonderfully exciting action scenes, although much of it comes off a little bittersweet, as if these are the final days of some sweet, sad, wild animal. It was the summer of 69. Yep. Peter Stack from San Francisco Chronicle says, A true cinematic touchstone. The film has influenced a generation of movie makers, from Scorsese to Tarantino to Hong Kong action king John Woo. And finally, Jeremy Hellman from MovieMartyr.com says, It's a thoroughly modern movie and has barely aged a bit since its release, since it places itself <laughs> in opposition to all things past. I mean, Ernest Borgnine. That, that guy's clearly racist and misogynistic. <laughs> um... You know who's never wooed me? <laughs> Moving along. Uh, I, I can't believe that Curtis missed that one. <laughs> too easy. Too, too, easy. too easy. So, wow, it aged well. I can't believe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, anything with Ernest Borgnine is timeless, but at the same time, not even underlining the intensely overriding <laughs> themes of misogyny and racism here are pretty intense. I tell you, you know who aged? <laughs> <laughs> John Woo. John Woo. <laughs> so the Wild Bunch kicks off. We are in Texas in the year is 1913, and it'd be safe to call Pike Bishop the main character of the film, correct? Yes. Uh, played by William Holden. Is that right? I actually looked it up and already forgot. No, it, that's it, correct. It, okay. Yeah. He's leading his ragtag team of uh, uh, you know outlaws through this city in Texas, and basically they're coming in for one big score. Uh, I believe the local train depot supposedly has a, a uh, supposedly has a vault filled with uh, silver, and they're trying to access that, um, only to be ambushed by Deke Thornton, played by Robert Ryan, who, uh, Curtis, I believe it's implied they had a previous relationship. Yeah, they, they were, uh, you know, Deke was part of the gang. And you know, it, and now well, he's now he's what? It's beyond implied. Like they, uh, they, they have some really flashback, <laughs> flashback later. He gets he gets arrested uh, amid the first of many shooting women in the tummy incidents. Well, I, I understand at this point it's implied because the flashbacks uh, don't come fucking li until later, leaving me just like, what the hell's going on? Three hours later, you get your first flashback, and you, you just what happened? Yeah. Yeah, an uh, innocent woman, woman gets killed, and trust me, she's just one of many. that. Uh, right, but by then you're already used to the violence. Uh, that's true. But it is, uh, I mean, part of it is just that we're not familiar with these actors as much as we're familiar with actors of our generation. I understand that. But there's also, it's what I usually call uh, war movie syndrome, where you put a helmet on them, and now it's kind of like really hard to tell them apart. Mm -hmm. Most actors in a, in, a, in a war movie, and I was having uh, Western syndrome here, where they're all wearing hats, they all have the mustache, they look dirty, and they have a gun. They all look the same. So, and every extra looks like it could be Rob Schneider. <laughs> Literally, yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, eventually, you start, because you don't know who these guys I knew William Holden from... Uh, uh, 
The Omen? No, from uh, from The Omen, really? <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's he's the main politician. Oh, well no, Sunset Boulevard. Uh that's, that's oh, right. and of course yeah, he looks nothing like he looks in in Wonder, uh, Wonder Woman Sunset Boulevard. So, uh so I mean, but at least I could look at that guy and be like, okay, that's that's William Holden. Mm-hmm. But all the other people, okay, well, Ernest Borgnine is yeah. just young Ernest Borgnine. He's the one that's distinctive. But everybody he's else psychotic in this also. He tries to be psychotic. I maybe it's just that I grew up with with Ernest Borgnine as the figure of the the, the sweet cuddly grandpa. But yeah. I just couldn't take him seriously here as a threat. No, I always saw the pain behind his eyes, and he was just trying to fit in with the rest of the gang, and he, he couldn't quite do it. Uh, so it did that. I, I didn't really see it happening. But everybody else looks the same. And it gets really confusing when you have a dirty, bearded group of people wearing hats uh, being pursued by a bearded, dirty group of people wearing hats, mm-hmm. all riding horses, all kind of speaking the same kind of lingo, which is the Western lingo. At some point, by the time you get to the flashbacks, I just gave up. I, was like, I don't know who's who. I'm just, <laughs> I just, I'm assuming that at some point only one of them will be standing and uh, will be left standing, and and that'll be the winner. Yeah, they should have called it the uh, interchangeable bunch because <laughs> it's the generic Western bunch. <laughs> uh, again, Ernest Borgnine plays Dutch Ingstrom, who is basically the right hand man for Pike. Um, what happens in this first scene is one of many very elongated shootouts where a lot of people die. Some in slow motion, some not. A lot of squibs going off, uh, but it gets pretty repetitive pretty quickly. It's crazy. It's like Peckinpah was getting paid by the bullet. Yeah. It just, he, and it, the ridiculous part is that it's six of them against an entire town, and and they don't suffer any casualty. Well, no, that's not true. One of them, the one guy that uh, he would be... Uh, uh, you know who would you cast for that? I don't know, like the guy uh, who played Bob in Tim Burton's Batman. <laughs> oh wait, yes. Are are we talking about uh, uh, the old? Are we talking about Sykes' nephew? No, 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 no. That guy oh. at least he he's memorable. No, I'm talking about the guy that I didn't even know he had gotten shot until. And then Pike the, Mercy kills him. Right. Yeah. He he couldn't see. He couldn't write. And then Pike kills him. Oh. That guy I didn't even know when he got shot. Yeah. There was like a lot of people dying, and uh, well, his hand goes up to his face when he gets shot. That much I do remember. Okay, how many hands go up to how many faces in that in that 10, 15 no, minute that sequence? One, how many tops come off of how many women in this film? <laughs> that, I mean, that one was pretty, you know, for lack of a better word, explicit. The, the covering the face. I don't even remember what the guy looks like before that. Nobody does. Fair enough. Uh, so, the new crew being Pike, uh, Dutch, and the Gorch brothers, um, they finally hustle up their loot only to find out that it's a decoy. It's full of a bunch of steel washers that are worth, you know, a uh, dollar bag. Yeah. Pennies on the dollar. Uh, they're able to uh, reunite with Freddie Sykes, who's played by Edmund O'Brien, which I didn't really see where Sykes was in this. Was he a part of the opening shootout? No, right? I don't think so. I'm like, I mean, this is the first time Alex and I have seen this movie, and we kept trying to basically explained the plot to each other as the movie was going <laughs> while Curtis was just eating Whataburger and walking to the bathroom and coming back and yeah. he knew exactly where we were. How many times have you seen this movie? I've only seen it like four or five. Last time only was four like or five. <laughs> right uh right before I graduated college. So it's been it's been a good it's been a while. Five years, yeah. I watched Drive four or five times in the past week, so um biting my tongue. 
So they reunite with Sykes, and they're heading to Mexico. Uh, their plan is they're going to cross the border across the Rio Grande. And... Yeah, no, he's he's not. I just I just now remembered like they they meet up with him. He was like busy chewing tobacco or whatever because he has like that big tobacco stain just like going all down his face. He was and like then... taking care of the horses or something. Then they 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 want to they want to keep. Yeah, that's they want to that's his, actually his take. that's actually what he does. He, he like every job, he's, the he's horse caretaker. He, yeah, he's just the guy who stays behind and he takes care of the horses because he's, he's old. If you're if you're like me and you're trying, you're having trouble differentiating everybody. He's the old guy with really bad teeth. He looks like Jafar in Aladdin when he's this guy. <laughs> is the guy that says uh, talks about the golden rule. This this really is an Adam Sandler movie because he's that old guy that you can't understand anything he says in any of Adam Sandler's movies. Yeah. Wait, so if if that's the case, then uh, for our remake, wouldn't the dream casting for Sykes be uh, Henry Winkler? Oh, no, do not, don't do that to Henry Winkler, no. <laughs> Henry Winkler would be uh, an Apache. <laughs> oh. There you go. Uh, Give him some dignity. Yeah. <clears throat> so they're heading to Mexico. They're going to cross the Rio Grande, basically regroup, uh, rebuild, reclaim. Uh, and then go back to get the loot, knowing damn well that uh, Deke is going to be waiting for them. Now, what is the association with Angel? Is this someone they've worked with previously? Because I was trying to pick up the pieces here. Is he just someone they meet in the village? Angel is, uh, 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 I guess, the poor man's Wilmer Valderrama. He's the Hispanic of yeah. the group. So you have, so you have the leader, William Holden from Sunset Boulevard, looking nothing like William Holden from Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> You have Ernest Bornine looking just like a young Ernest Bornine. Uh, you have the two brothers, who I guess they're always together, right? That's their thing, like the two brothers. Yeah. Uh, you have... Uh, they would be the albino twins from the second Matrix. Yes, yeah. Uh, and then and then you have the old guy with bad teeth. And then you have the Hispanic guy. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because they lose one guy, and then they leave another guy behind. So they're seeking refuge, basically. They're staying in Anhel's village until they're going to go back to get the loot. Uh, the village has been overturned um, and basically run with an iron fist by General Mapache, who's a bad motherfucker. Did you know what Mapache means? Isn't it a dance? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's raccoon. Yes, I did see that in the trivia for the film. Well, that would make sense because raccoon is easy to associate with bandit, which they then associate with like rebels. And I guess I, I I don't I can't imagine being too intimidating if you're General Mapache. I mean General Raccoon. Yeah. It's, unless you're like in Mario World or something that nobody's gonna word, take you seriously. It's wordplay, guys. I don't know. I don't know how to tell you anything. There's the, the King of the Hill where Bobby gets a pet raccoon <laughs> and he's like, "With your hair, you look like a bandit. I'm gonna call you." Masky. <laughs> <laughs> so General Apache's running the village with an, with an iron fist, and they're just having one of their, you know, miscellaneous get-togethers in the the, the village. Um, all the women are around preparing food, drinks for the men. When uh, Teresa appears, who we don't get a flashback for this, but it's immediately explained that she was Angel's former side piece. Yeah, uh, we get we get uh, a little bit of setup here, uh, and this this big this is a huge section of the movie. I wrote in my notes. This is like the Mexican vacation, because at that point, for people that haven't seen the movie before, like you and I, to me, it's just 
I'm assuming that they're heading back to that town to finish business to get. Because uh, Borgnine and uh, Holden have that discussion of like it has to, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. So it's like fuck yeah, rally at dawn. Get, right, right. We're, we're, take care of business. Holden goes like, "This is gonna be my last job. That was supposed to be our last job. Now this is gonna be the last job." Uh, and but then they go and they just chill in Mexico for a long time. This is the and, fucking like it's literally Jurassic Park three. It's like why are they on the island? <laughs> Leave. <laughs> Yes, uh, but but yeah, when they first stop at the village, that's where they're all partying. But uh, Anhill is having a hard time because I guess the general killed his father, and then his girlfriend or whoever this girl was just left with them, and then he has that awesome Tom Sizemore moment <laughs> where uh, he just everybody's having a great time and he's just in the middle of the of the, of the town and he yells Mapache <laughs> and. Uh, so then, when you actually meet Mapache, that's that's how uh, you know that things are gonna get ugly. So yeah, Teresa, uh, basically, I can't tell if she actually likes Mapache or just is trying to make Anhel jealous. <laughs> Whatever the case, it works because uh, he's like, "Puta!" <laughs> and then he shoots her, and it's yeah, he just pulls out his pretty gun amazing and shoots her. And then all the armed guards with the general come around, like, "Why did he try to hurt the general?" He's like, oh no, he just wanted to kill the girl, and then they all start laughing. Yeah, they invite him. They invite him in for drinks. <laughs> oh, it was just he just wanted to kill the woman. It's okay. That happens every day here. Uh, that entire thing, it, it just felt meandering, and that's my main problem with this movie. That it's funny because when we did our last uh, western, when we did the Magnificent Seven, yeah, what feels like seven years ago. <laughs> We criticize it for taking so long to get to the point. Like you spend so much time watching them travel, and here you don't even watch them travel. You just watch them hang out. Yeah. They, I mean, there's very there's some horse riding here, but most of the running time is spent on them just kind of like talking and drinking. And if this was a video game, there would be four levels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're just really long, and there's a lot of just walking. Yeah. You just walk, and then you you just have like a lot of cinematics in between levels. But the uh, so, but the other thing is that you never know where the movie's going, and not in a good way. Because I thought I and I could have been mistaken, but I thought that I heard him say that they were they were specifically going to ask the general for for weapons and and for his wheels because they see the car and it's like ha ha we don't know what cars are and they have to explain what a car is. Yeah. And uh, but then all they do is they just kind of like sit around. It's that strange machine. Yeah, it's, it's just weird. Uh, it, but then they just kind of sit around, and it just happens that the, they get offered a job. Mm-hmm. It's almost like before then, we, and we're like at least 30 if he minutes. hadn't killed that woman. <laughs> right. What were they going to do? Just got a drink there? Yeah. Uh, we're more than 30 minutes into the movie, I think, and so far we don't even know what the movie's really about. Yeah. So it's it just, I don't know. I didn't like it. So they make a deal to hijack a train that's coming across the border. It's carrying, uh, I believe, um, U.S. military arms, and it's basically a uh, cache of weaponry and ammunition. Yep. It's uh, rifles and a big uh, machine gun that needs a mount. That's right. They got the the big old uh, Terminator 2 gun coming through. Um, So they're going to do it for $10,000 worth of gold, and then they party. And... The Gorch brothers have their own cachet of women. <laughs> and then the other, uh, Borgnine, um, Sykes, Bishop, 
like true goddamn gentlemen, spend an evening in the sauna together. <laughs> Throw them, showing each other big old buckets of water on each other and laughing about nothing. Showing each other their scars. Somebody yeah. has a scar. Yeah, we uh, put leads to another flashback. Bishop has Bishop, a scar. Yeah, he's got that big scar on his thigh from where he got shot. And then he killed the woman who did it, presumably. <laughs> but no, uh, he didn't. He didn't kill her. Her, uh, oh, her, her husband, husband killed her. Oh, he got right. her with the first shot and him with the second shot. And, and then he... they laughed and toasted each other. <laughs> and then he I ran you... off because he was like, oh, I also shot a man. <laughs> I thought you were trying to kill me, but no, you just wanted to kill your wife. <laughs> we're good. So the Gorge brothers go out and have a drunken, fun evening with these three women. And uh, Gorge brother number one ends up proposing to one of them. And he comes back and introduces his fiance. I mean, going back to the movie Meandering, it, this is, what, two and a half hours at least? Yeah. yeah. And I thought from the opening, not that I was particularly excited to, to spend two and a half hours watching people shooting each other, but at least that would have given me something. Uh, but instead, is is like that opening teases you. Like, this is going to be an action. This is where they're wild. This is the Expendables. Right. The, the, the Two. Wild, <laughs> the Expendable Bunch. <laughs> uh, but but instead, after that action sequence, there's a lot of just nothing until you get to the next set piece. There's three huge action uh, scenes or sequences with... A lot of filler in between. Yes, and I mean, you want to talk about filler? The two brothers hanging out with their girls, like they just, we just watch them go on a date. Mm -hmm. You can remove that from the from the movie, and nothing changes because the whole thing is that it's a punchline. Then they they show up and they're like, "Hey, I got engaged," and then ah ha ha, everybody laughs, and then that's it. You you could have just had that. You didn't need to see them like hanging out and like, what do they do? They go to a wine cellar. Or is it beer? It's wine. It's wine. And they're like swimming in it. Because why not? And they make sure... Wine, get... wine not even. <laughs> they make sure to make the women take their tops off. Of, of course. Yeah. There's. Uh, is it before or after this when uh, there's a, a shot that begins like on a woman's nipple and then it, it just opens up? <laughs> you know, there's oh. a woman breastfeeding. Oh, no, that's when they first get to the village. That's when you think that the movie's going to be all body positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just starts right at the core and then starts zooming out. It's like, oh, we're in Mexico. I I wonder if there is some symbolism there that I missed. It's in, you know, what we're reading as as aggression toward women is actually uh, they're glorifying the human body, uh, the female well, body I mean, in particular. In that scene, they're probably glorifying the human body because you know, without mother's milk, you don't get to raise strong soldiers. The strongest weapon of all. The it's mother's not, milk. It's, it's, not, not, it's not the machine gun. <laughs> the mother's milk is mightier than the machine gun. Man, tell that to Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> uh, so they go to hijack the uh, train. All starts off according to plan. Um, all's going well. They're getting the cart separated. There's no hiccups in the road. But it turns out that uh, Deke and his band of misfits are aboard the uh, one of the carts in the train and... Did I miss this? Was it explained why they were on this train? There is a scene uh, where he he's asking the the bigger old guy back in town, the guy that had set all this up. I think he's asking for more resources. Is that some? Is that what happened? <clears throat> yeah. And and basically, I guess his plan was to just set this up so that he can ambush them. Gotcha. I am guessing because I clearly after this, I I just realized I don't speak Western. And and I was missing a lot in the translation. Also, a good time to bring up the fact that there's no subtitles. And I feel bad for both of you 
especially you, because you, Alex, because Curtis has already seen this several times. But there's no subtitles in this movie, and there's, there's a lot of Spanish being spoken. One of the things that I I sort of took for granted when you guys said there were no subtitles was they didn't you know they didn't do as much offhanded explaining of what was being said as you would think they would considering that uh, Dutch spoke Spanish. Right, Ernest Borgnine translates a couple of very precious times, but yeah. there's long stretches where they're just people speaking Spanish and you just kind of you have to read their their grimy facial expressions and kind of hope that you're getting the the right uh, idea. So with all the being said, the hijack does go awry. It's going smoothly until uh, Deke pretty much senses what the fuck's up and his cart's been left behind. So they go and unload the uh, cart that has the horses and they basically take off on horseback after the runaway train to track them down, um, kill them, get the ammunition and whatnot. It should be noted this sequence is at least twenty five minutes long. This is this is the second level of the movie, yes. right? Level one is is the heist uh, at the beginning where uh, they're robbing the allegedly the gold pieces turn out to be washers. So level two is the the train heist, mm-hmm. uh, which takes forever. And I turn to Curtis and he goes, "Remember Breaking Bad? The the train heist. That's what this is." Okay, Breaking Bad did it in like five minutes. <laughs> This but, thing takes forever. But they use the they use like they use silence to great effect, like in terms of like increasing tension. And you know, I gotta say, it was if the silence was a welcome change because that fucking soundtrack during their little Mexico jaunt is is a bit of a mood killer. Like if you wanna if you wanna date this movie super fast, the soundtrack's a real, real good way to do just, it. Just just Shazam that the soundtrack. And no, I, I don't mean date in terms of like fig, you know, like carbon date. I mean just to say, holy geez, this hasn't aged well. Like that soundtrack is like a prime example of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't care much for the soundtrack. It it gets it reminds me of when we watched uh, Jaws, and you were complaining about how in the most intense scenes suddenly gets like really happy, yeah, poppy, like just makes you feel good music. And this had that uh, at some points, uh, but also. You just reminded me about the silence. Is that everybody in this movie is yelling all the time? Yeah. There is, uh, and that's another reason why it's so hard to distinguish them. Because when you're yelling, you just sound like everybody else, unless you have an accent like me. <laughs> everybody else, they're just the two brothers are almost. I mean, five hours into the movie, I could finally like, kind of tell them apart. But, uh, but at first, it's just okay. Well, everybody's yelling. That guy's yelling. You can't even make out what they're saying. Uh, the one guy is just like. Martha. <laughs> yeah. And then Ernest Bornine just looks lost. Like, he can't even yell. He, he doesn't know how to do that. That was real hooch he was pounding the entire movie. So by the end of it, he was he was ready to go home. Um, so Deke's posse's in tow. They take off after uh, the, the runaway train. Fortunately for Bishop and his crew, they're able to get it over the bridge that they had already rigged with explosives. Um, smartly enough, and, you know, this is the type of thing you would do in a video game, um, they lure him to the middle of the bridge and they blow the bridge and Deacon and his posse just, you know, fall to the wayside. They regroup fairly quickly. Though, they right? survive. How the hell do you survive? And their horses. Be- right. The horses survive too. What the hell? The They're on the bridge when the bridge is blown up. Mm-hmm. And then it's like they lose one man, I think. Yeah. Next time you see him, the uh, William Holden goes, well, there's five now. He should have been like, what happened? <laughs> we blew them up. That's like the Avengers. What sort of black magic did Dad summon up to get you back? Yeah. 
So moving along, the hunt is on. Now, all the while, Angel Angel has um, made a deal with Bishop and his crew that he will forfeit his uh, earnings and gold and give it back to them so they can disperse it. In trade, he will get one of the crates of ammo to supply to a rebel village that opposes Mapache. And presumably women in general. He just... Mapache. Uh, Mapache. He... Raccoon. Let's call him Raccoon. General Raccoon. General Raccoon. See how silly it sounds? <laughs> uh, but yeah, they uh, they do this. Actually, they figured this out, this plan out earlier, right? It's like when they're we're still in the sauna. Yeah. They, they decide to make this deal. And then... Then, as, as real fucking gentlemen do in the sauna. In the make, sauna, make that it's they what they what they call this is doing things sauna <laughs> rather than later. Moving along. Uh so yeah, he has that thing. And so there's this really weird sequence uh where I thought that things were about to get really exciting because I thought that Angel Angel was betraying them. Mm-hmm. Do you think that too? When they, they wake up, they're all sleeping, and the brother that's supposed to be on guard, he yeah. dozed off or something, and then they all wake up and they have swords to their throats. They're getting ambushed apparently by by this uh, tribe of natives, and Anhill is just standing there smiling. Yeah, and I thought they were getting betrayed. I thought he was going to take all the guns and just go on his crazy uh, revenge. Uh, well, see, the problem is he's a man, so I knew the movie wouldn't vilify him. So, no. I, I just no, if they were going to get betrayed, it was going to be by a woman. Exactly. But luckily for them, there's none of them. There's no women <laughs> in most of the movies. So. Well, I mean, you know, to be fair, you know, women are women are their weakness. Like whether or not um, women like actively betray all of them, like it, you know, it's the reason they let their guard down. It's you know, it's every single one of them is failing is a woman. And yeah, and that'll come around in the end as well, uh, especially for Bishop. Um, but as with most things here, it's not an airtight, you know, lock that they have on this information. So General Raccoon finds out about this, and when the last uh, shipment, the last cache of weaponry is delivered, he uh, gives Borgnine the two bags of gold and basically says, "You know, we know what's up." Yeah, uh, so this would be almost like level three. I, th- I think level three is the exchange of gold for weapons, which takes forever in the movie. Yes. They take several side trips. It's the kind of thing that you explain in modern movies. You explain this with one sentence. This is how we're going to do the exchange. And then next time you see them, you cut to the exchange already happened because the exchange is fucking boring. Yeah. But this movie actually has you like they show William Holden take the first trip and then he tells them where they're gonna find the 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 weapons and then Bornan comes back but it, it just they they follow the entire process and it takes like ten minutes for this thing to happen. Mm-hmm. When the real important thing is what happens at the very end, which is that uh Anhill gets found out. Yeah. And you know Borgnine's just like, yeah, he's a thief, fucking take him. It's that is the closest he comes to being a badass. <laughs> It, you know, in some situations, you would expect a Keanu level reaction when he finds out Jeff Daniels is dead in speed, but instead he's just like, "I'm out of here. I'm taking my money and going. Not but, my problem." But because it's Ernest Borgnine, the next cut is him crying almost yeah. when he's telling the crew about what happened. He's he's very upset, and he, you know, they need to take pity on on Angel, uh, who really, I guess they do owe him because he helped them escape with their life, but at the same time. He knew what he was getting himself into, the risk he was taking. 
Yeah, I mean, silly name aside, uh, General Raccoon, he's he has a shitload of weapons, a shitload of men. Why would you even try to... And you already killed the girl, so why are you even going back there? You're just taking the gold. Yeah. Bishop and his crew have gathered, uh, and again, Ernest Borgnine is explaining to them, you know, what, why they need to save him. So they're on lookout, and they see Sykes, who was retrieving the horses from the previous crash. And uh, that's true. Like, okay, no. So he was right. He's the horseman. That's, yeah. that's what he does. That's that's his job. <laughs> he makes sure that the beer's on ice and the horses are well fed. Uh, he's wrestling them up, and then who is it that's shooting at him? Is that part of the natives or is that part of Deke's crew? Because I got a bit lost there. It was Deke's crew, right? Yeah. Yeah, because then everybody else is like, they shot Sykes. Let's move on. <laughs> That's right. They shoot him in the leg. The guy with those stringy hair shoots him in the leg. The fucking the guy that would be played by Paul Dano in the in the remake. Uh, I'd go more with uh, Elliot. What's the the guy's name? Something Elliot. Elliot Gould. No, Chris Elliot. Chris Elliot. Yeah, <laughs> Cabin Boy. I, I would go more on that that lines. But yeah, um, Sykes is shot in the leg, so he's temporarily out of commission. Um, well, I mean, we assumed. Okay, you would assume that he's dead because he's old. He's by himself. Back in those times, we didn't have modern medicine, you know. Right, 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 right. He's he's out of all of them. He's the one in the worst health. And you know, truth be told, he's around those horses all as the time. As long as you shoot somebody in the side, sorry. As long as you shoot somebody in the leg, and it's not like the interior part, you know, the part that's closest to the horse, like where your thighs are, you you're not going to hit an artery. So be fine if you get shot. How do you know this? Because your like your leg artery is all that all that horse riding you've done <laughs> while being shot at. I mean, I think this is as good a time as any to bring into the, the question. Was anyone else off put by just the amount of unprotected sex that was happening in this film? Uh, there is uh, there's just this really weird shot that basically ruins the suspense of is this guy gonna live or die? Or <laughs> he's just holding his leg like ah, damn it. <laughs> Yes, I mean for one, I expected him. He's he's bleeding, like you said. That's that's really red blood. Yeah. And uh, it, it, but then he, I guess he kind of gets away, and you think, okay, he's just gonna die by himself in the desert or whatever. But then he gets found by the by by the natives that yeah. were that were with Angel. He's like Vin Diesel in Saving Private Ryan. Hey, I got this letter. <laughs> you got to give it to William Holden. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and then you cut, and then just just to skip ahead a little bit, you don't see him again until the very end of the movie. No, which is fucking bullshit. I I knew he was alive because I've seen this before. Right. So to you, that was just like, oh, this is how the dots connect. But He's, it's like, yeah, in the end, he it's like fucking um, one of the greatest comedic shots in cinematic history of um, fucking Commissioner Gordon. Coming out of the crash thing at the end of Dark Knight Rises, where he just reappears after you think he's dead. Yeah, it's it's fucking wonderful. It's basically the same thing, except he's uh, Sykes is the cool guy at the end of the movie. Right, he is, but it's one of the many it, I would say cock thesis in the movie because there's a couple times where I thought we were heading for another big action sequence uh, along the lines of the first one, mm -hmm. and it just doesn't happen. Uh, one is when they first meet the General Raccoon. And uh, Angel shoots the girl, right? And everybody pulls their guns, and you're like, okay, it's on. But then... But then it's funny, because it was a woman that was killed. Exactly. And then uh, it happens again. Uh, well, it happens 
in the next sequence, like after when when they get back and they see Angel's uh, fate, I guess. So they ride back to town in hopes of rescuing on hell, and it's just a big party in town. And they're fucking dragging him behind General Raccoon's car. Oh, dude, don't forget about the kid who, like, sits on his back while he's being dragged. Like, like saddles it's, him. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's this thing uh, from the very beginning of the movie. They're, they keep cutting to shots of, of kids, like close-ups of kids smiling and kids running around. And at first, I was fascinated because in my mind, I'm like, well, they're showing us the kids because this movie that's being so violent and this it's praised for being so violent and so... Uh, which is for not romanticizing the genre and whatever, mm-hmm. we're about to see a kid get shot. This is why people are nuts about this movie, because a kid gets shot on screen. It doesn't happen in the beginning, so it just keeps building up because they keep showing you kids. And then at some point they show you kids with swords, and then they show you kids dressed as, as, as soldiers. Yeah, It has to be coming, right? Then you see a kid riding on, on Angel's body as he's being dragged. Uh, and again, we're going to jump ahead to the end. Not a single kid gets shot in this movie. But, I mean, they are, you know, building up to something with the kids. Yes, which is bullshit. The kids watch the violence. They're fascinated by it. You even see the, like, the one kid, like, tonguing his teeth. Like, it's, like, super erotic for him. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about, we're talking about, like, heavy-handed symbolism with the breast and whatever. We start with uh, a scorpion, right? Is is it scorpion? Yeah, that's, that's where the kid with the tongue is, like... Yeah, yeah these, the the local kids, the the little banditos, they drop a scorpion into a um, a fire anthill. Yeah, just kind of watch the chaos ensue. The little raccoons. The li- oh, and then don't forget about the the boy and the girl that are like caught in the middle of the shootout. That and was... the girl looks scared, and the boy is like trying to look scared, but the longer it goes on, like. He is less scared. Well, if you were a girl, is, you'd be he terrified. Is, he's, he's, that that was fucking pick a paw's son. It was just an excuse to get him in the movie. He is, he, but he is totally interested. <laughs> That's he's a like, shoot. he's like, this is this is my fate. Maybe if the civilized world doesn't catch up to us first. <laughs> uh, so Angel's fucked up. Pike wants him back. There's a bit of a disagreement. Um, General Raccoon doesn't want to sell him back. Uh, time goes by. They party again. Yeah. Right? He's like, no, you He's can't. He's being tortured. Quartered <laughs> and drawn. Oh, the, and they also, like, they light fireworks next to him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, that's how you see him off in that sequence. And then the General Raccoon is like, you can't have him, but if you want some women, you can. And they look at each other, and they look bummed, but then they don't say no. They, they just, just they, right, they're un- like, unbuckled. you know, I, I kind of forgot for a second that we could just shoot him if we want so i guess it's cool (laughs) exactly so they wake up the next morning hungover sex addled and ernest borgnine is the voice of reason as he has been it's like yeah let's go get the kid back um and they go to and it looks like fucking general raccoon's been on an all-night coke binge (laughs) and and looks like he's been torturing uh on hell throughout the entire night he just kind of throws him out he's like you want it and then slits his throat I was surprised. The Red Wedding. <laughs> All our, our, our listens just spiked with the Game of Thrones reference. Uh, no, uh, I, I am surprised that for a movie that claims to be so hyper-realistic about violence, that Angel is still alive. There is no way that he survives the night. 
after after being dragged by a car in the fireworks and the little kid sitting on him and all that stuff and yet he's well, I mean, still they at least they did it in like a gated community where they can't go too fast <laughs> so you know it's like it's like getting a lot of carpet burns on the face he's beat and, up he's probably got a high level concussion he, he can barely he, but curtis is is right it, it they weren't dragging him too hard, and I don't know. I looked. It looked to me like that was a mercy kill at the end when he just slits his throat. What were they gonna do with him? This is the old west. I mean, it's it, what were you gonna do with him? It is, Holistic it's, medicine. It's the last gasp of the old west. It's nineteen thirteen. Okay, they were surprised to see a car. So, but I, I mean, it's Mexico, so maybe it's like eighteen ninety six. Okay, so they're gonna put him a horse and just rush him to the ER. So they can what? Like give him the last rites? That's it. Just seems such a. Uh, I don't know why he's still alive. How that helps the story? Other than well, you know, we're gonna have to. We're gonna kill him in front of them and sacrifice believability. I mean, it's it's just you know, uh, for dramatic convenience because it's like. Where are you going to get that cool saunter if you don't slit somebody's throat in front of someone and then you have them march in there with purpose? For a movie that took its goddamn time the entire run, it rushes this closing sequence here. As soon as the knife is to his throat, Borg Knight and the gang just take out their guns and they fucking just let up General Raccoon. Uh, yeah, and, and Raccoon goes down first i think really? oh yeah no i mean that's that's what's cool about their plan is that they're they're four guys who are unmatched so they go they go for the gusto like right off the bat because right that's except the, that except the smart that, only way to do it but they were unmatched at the beginning and they took down the entire town and then left well, they lost one guy and uh in this time they're they're fighting but this time super... they're outnumbered fifty to one. I but don't... by by drunk hungover uh Mexicans. But, I mean, you know, half the town was like, you know, people in the band and like old temperance union ladies. Here not, here here like, half the town is children and women. And of course that actually comes to play. It does. Uh so yeah, basically there's this moment of intense silence and we get this awesome like <laughs> from Ernest Borgnine as they all stand there. And then it just turns into all out. Oh, I have in my notes here just death in capital letters. It's just a large shootout between the, the army there in Mexico and the, the, the crew, the wild bunch. And uh, they finally bust out the machine gun. It's the don't show the gun in the first act, you know, otherwise it's going to come back to. Well, you 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 show the gun in the first act, then the second act, you make a really long joke about the Mexicans <laughs> not knowing how to use the machine gun, and yeah. then the third act that comes to play. In classic pro wrestling fashion, the guy who pulls out the table ends up going through the table because the the Mexican army member who pulls out the machine gun he can't really quite get it to function. So uh, I believe it's Bishop comes over and takes over the reins, and uh, this was all kind of jumbled together. But the highlight being. Uh, Bishop takes refuge in a, in a room off to the side with a woman in it. He just kind of nods at the woman. And then she pulls out a handgun and shoots him in the back. And he turns around and goes, bitch, and shoots her with a shotgun. <laughs> and that's, oh, that's the movies. Yeah. They, they give you the fake out where they think that uh, that this time things are going to be different. Because there's there's the other... Uh, there's the other high-ranking official like hiding behind the mirror, and he shoots the mirror first. That's right. He gets confused and shoots that, but yeah. That was like the moment in, in theaters nowadays people would have started clapping when he shot that woman. Right, right. But to me, it just felt like, okay, you humiliated and tortured women uh, for over two hours, 
and now suddenly you want to make up for it by giving this woman the, the final shot. She yeah. gets to kill William Holden, which she doesn't even do that. No, she just shoots he, him in the back of the shoulder. Yeah, there's still two hours to go, so he's still he has he has a little more energy to to, to keep going. He's just begun selling death. Uh, so eventually, the the numbers are just too much. They keep folding the numbers, and is it Ernest Borgnine that's killed by the the child? No, uh, no, it's Holden, yeah. right? No, no, it's Borgnine who gets shot in the back by the little kid. Oh, I thought it was Holden. Okay, well, no, Holden gets shot in the side, and then he's like, "I'll get the gun, Pike," and then he he loads up, and then that's when uh, that's when uh, that's when he gets canarded. And then uh, Gorge Brother that's a, One. That's a wire reference. <laughs> Gorge Brother One makes his way to the machine gun, but he's just gunned down in the process. And- Dude, it's Gorge, just a big pile of death. Gorge Brother 1, I don't remember what he looks like. I remember what Lyle looks like. Which I don't know which one's Lyle. Lyle Lyle's the, the one who got engaged and the one that is always accused of being lazy. And then there's Simon Gorge. Oh, wait. Who likes drawings. No, it's Tector. Tector? Yes, Tector. Are you, are you making this up? Or is no, it, I'm not making it up. Does he like drawings? <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> okay. What's the name? Adam Baldwin. He looks like Adam Baldwin with the mustache. Um, One of the brothers does. I don't know if it's fake oh, name or... We uh, also forgot about, like, speaking speaking of the Gorch brothers being, like, punchlines, there's, like, the whole thing where they're all swilling from the bottle, and they keep passing it to everybody, and then... I, I think lot- Alex mix, missed that one, because I think that happened when you went to the bathroom. Do you see that? It's, it's shortly lot, after yeah. that. It's, <laughs> they're, yeah. uh, like, one of, the, one of the Mexican gentlemen, him and... Him and William Holden, they share like the first pool, and then they pass it to everybody. And then there's like, I think it's Angel is like off screen. You think it's gonna go to Lyle, but then Angel takes the last swig and he kills it. And then they drop the empty bottle in. And then they laugh. They laugh for like five minutes at least. It's like the end of a He Man episode where it's just like this is the moral of the story. Ha 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 ha. That's hey, hell. How about next time you drive? <laughs> <laughs> so death- I, I actually think you know at the end of, at the end of credits when they uh, when they show you the pictures of them laughing having a good time. Yeah. The picture they use of uh, Anne Hill is from that scene. He looks so happy. <laughs> he did not know the fate that was uh, that was for him. Uh, but death becomes her. Uh, pretty much everyone's wiped out. Uh, Deke finally makes it to the town. Um, he's got the posse in tow. He allows them to take the bodies of the banditos and the uh, rebels, basically, to claim the reward. Um, and he just kind of hangs around. He has he has the look of uh, Tommy Lee Jones at the end of No Country for Old Men. Uh, and he woke up. <laughs> yes, that's pretty much. He's he's just sitting there outside town, holding the his horse's reins, and and you just see people coming in and out. I think he's just waiting for the the right time. But uh, he's also he's also sad for his buddy. You know, I mean, they, uh, you know, they their paths diverged and what have you. But I, honestly, I think he would have he wouldn't have minded like saying some last words, trying to as he shot him. To, no, yeah. trying to no, no, not even that. But just trying to say his piece to his friend, because I mean, everybody knows that he was the Judas goat. But I don't think that, you know. Pike, knowing that, sits terribly well with him. So Deke is just kind of waiting. I think he's just waiting for the right time. And Sykes shows back up. And Sykes has a couple uh, men in tow. And basically just, they in no uncertain words, ask if 
uh, Deke wants to ride out with them into the sunset. It's such a shameless uh, setup for a sequel that thankfully never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I was complaining about the fake outs uh, earlier, and you know, so that's one of the fake outs that that you see the old man survive the gunshot because he meets up with the with the natives. Yeah. So you expect them to show up in the final battle to to either save the day or at least die with his buddies. But no, they save him to the very end because they need to have a sequel. Yeah. Even back then, the studio system was just so polluted and so contaminated with franchise uh, uh, ideology that they're like, well, we have two surviving characters and the Wild Bunch truth is about these two guys and six other guys. Yeah. Uh, so you can't even get closure that way. You don't... They survive and they hint at further adventures they might have. And... It just annoys me because I wanted uh, more closure from a movie from this era that's so revered. Uh, instead, what I got was just the seeds of everything we hate about movies these days. Yeah. The extreme violence, the 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 constant setups for sequels that may or may not happen, it, the misogyny, <laughs> the racism. It's all it all you can trace it back to movies like this one, and people hail them as classics. Mm-hmm. Fuck Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, my, my notes end with Deke wins because it, it's it's an ending. I mean, he'll get two action figures. He gets the one for the Wild Bunch and the one for the Wild Bunch sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then they end with the shot of them riding into heaven. The well, and then the horses take off into the sky as we'll always be together. Plays <laughs> oh, like they, the like the like the TriStar logo. Yeah, and then they turn back around and wave at everybody. <laughs> And Robert Ryan has a big blonde perm at this point for some reason. And because that's not enough, then you get the the, the shots of them having a good oh, time. Oh, so wait, if if we're in Adam Sandler territory with this ending, there's also like a stick song. Over the credits, that's over the credits. So yeah, the Wild Bunch. Um, now we surmised in about 42 minutes what took us about half a day to get through. Yes, uh, I I don't know that I, I could do it again. I, I think that... Next time we choose a western, we just need to pick up something a, a little more fast paced. Mm-hmm. I think I think we we should close this trilogy, and I'm gonna say it here on air because I texted you and you reacted very poorly. Mm-hmm. But I think that the final chapter of the western trilogy, when the contrarian should be a million ways to die in the west, which looks like a fantastic movie that's probably only ninety minutes long, and gets to the point right away. It's 117. Even better. That's <laughs> abhorrent. We'll see. <laughs> That's the best you can do in Contrarian's Corner. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, are we ready for real talk? Let's do some real talk. Real talk for the Wild Bunch. Wild Bunch released on June 18th of 1969. Uh, box office, uh, excuse me, a budget of about six million with a box office return of a, a bit over 11 million. Uh, movie that has quite the legacy upon initial release. It was shortly after the uh, Hayes Code era of Hollywood had ended. It was originally slapped with an NC-17 rating, um, 
and then there was also uh, throughout the years different cuts that were released in terms of they had to cut out certain segments, bits of violence, things of that nature. Um, but Roger Ebert hailed it as an all-time great movie, and um, what I was reading in one of his reviews, um, like a retrospective type review, compared it a lot to Pulp Fiction in that it was both hailed and reviled in similar fashions because of its intense violence. Um, now, we'll get to some issues with it, but uh, you said there was one negative review? There's one negative review and one positive review that made me laugh. So, uh, negative from Barbara Schulgasser from Common Sense Media. She just says, extremely violent 60s Western with drinking and sex. <laughs> Bad movie. Bad. Drinking and sex. Uh, but then there's Stephen Hunter from the Baltimore Sun who says, it's one of the great arrogant take-it-or-leave-it jobs in history. And by this point, it is so beyond either defense or attack that I come neither to praise nor to bury it, but merely to describe it. I just love that he he gave up. <laughs> he made the mistake of volunteering for the assignment at the at the paper, and then he watched the movie, and he didn't know how to feel about it. He didn't feel that he was up to the task, unlike yeah. us. Yeah, let's talk about this fucking movie. Let's. I let's, mean, as a craftsman, I don't know. Uh, how Peck and Paw functioned. I honestly thought for point. a second that you were calling yourself a craftsman. As a craftsman, I think <laughs> that this movie hits. No, the I right don't know notes. how Peck and Paw was in terms of like functional, but there are times where like you know because he was such a heavy drinker that you just you know that he was barely cogent some days, and I don't know where he was on that scale with this. So like. On the one hand, I understand what he means by being a great take-it-or-leave-it job. Yeah. Um, from what I read, he just random trivia and different research I did on it. It sounded like he was rather nightmarish to work with, depending on who you were on the crew. Uh, but it does stand at a towering 96%. It does have quite the legacy as a pioneering film. Um, also uh, regarded as a really, really violent film, especially for that time. And I read a little bit about it. Curtis seemed to have a bit more um, knowledge on the subject. John Wayne wasn't a fan of it. Yeah, um, yeah, he did, he didn't care for the realism. I, you know, I wish I had pulled the quote up. But basically, I mean, that's that's kind of what put John Wayne on my shit list because I I like John Wayne, but it uh, wasn't that racism or the. <laughs> I mean, it was anti-Semitism. It was homophobia. Oh yeah, I mean, all those things are not cool. But this was like. And I was like, and also this, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah, he said it uh, basically killed the myth of the Old West and basically ruined the, the fantasy I genre. Mean, Coming from a guy who, as we discussed while watching it, a white man who chose to play the role of Genghis Khan in a film, talking about killing an illusion. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. As we've established previously, I Western is not my genre, and I... It's so that's I wouldn't have a problem with it being long if it was more focused. I I understand what he's going for and I think that the ending I like the ending, but I don't think the ending would work as well if we didn't spend that much time with these people. Probably. I don't know. It just but while I was watching it, it just felt I was having trouble staying interested. Uh I mean there was like some really good stuff between the characters. But then there's just a lot of 
what are we where are we going with this movie? Also, anytime they're outdoors, it looks great. The cinematography and like the the locations and all of that looks really good. But yeah, it it's very meandering. Yeah, and, and I I can get it. That's the point. I mean, at some point you just said we're I think two thirds into the movie, and you mm-hmm. said yeah, this I can totally see how this inspired Tarantino. And then I I kind of shifted my perspective, and I was thinking yeah, if it was done today, if I watch a movie done today. This is kind of like the equivalent of a Tarantino movie where you can just be... There's more that happens, though. Right, but but he has those long sequences where... Oh, yeah, There's yeah. nothing... Plot-wise, there's nothing going on. It's just people hanging out and just talking. And, and I guess you could argue that the conversations that they have these days are more relevant, therefore more interesting for us. But here, when they're hanging out in the sauna or when they're hanging out with the women, and I guess the things that they say maybe in 69 were a little more interesting... And now uh, that's why I completely disagree with the reviewer that said it doesn't feel dated. I think it does. Yeah, it feels very dated. Uh, it has. It still has. I think it's powerful. It has like really good stuff. But you can't tell me that it feels like a movie that was made today, or you know, I, I don't think it feels timeless. It, no. it deals with timeless themes, uh, but and but, that's something too. It great art. You don't need to make the. You don't need the crutch to say, well, it was made back then, right. Um, there's a movie I just watched recently. I think I plugged it on one episode of the podcast we had, but it made me really take that into consideration was Repulsion, the Roman Polanski film. Have you ever seen it? Oh, you mentioned it, but I haven't seen it. From 1965, it feels like a movie that could be made today and be just as good. Uh, this, I mean, there, it seems to get off the tracks, no pun intended, at a few parts, but also, yeah, all joking aside, the just hatred towards women does not age too well yeah that that is at the very least at that you can point, say that about a lot of things from that time period but we're not like we're not laughing at women getting killed all the time <laughs> yeah and i understand i mean it's not just that oh well i need this movie to be pc or whatever but it's just that the if anything okay the biggest argument against uh this movie not being dated is just that I understand it's a Western and you have to, it's working within the tropes of Western, which yeah. is a very masculine, testosterone fueled uh, genre. But it's not like it even tries to give you anything resembling a female character that that would have any sort of agency, uh, any sort of resonance. Uh, you know, who do you remember? It's like the one, the woman that was, I guess, Anne Hill's girlfriend and betrays him and then gets shot and she gets like maybe two minutes of screen time. Yep. And, uh, and then the random woman that kills the, uh, that kills William Holden. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, that is not random that a woman kills him. I'm assuming that it's not random, but somehow it just doesn't hit you as hard. That was the only part of the script that, uh, pick a paw didn't write. He's like, ah, <laughs> fuck it. Just someone put it in there. Um, that is something too that I read that actual prostitutes were used for the Gorge Brothers, the women that they have brought in that they're like swimming in the wine with and everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, that again. There's a lot of that we can, a lot of movies we've done. Like um, even fucking as far as racial stuff goes, it's a Wonderful Life. There's stuff in that that we were just like, eh, this doesn't feel <laughs> oh, so fun. Wait, now. no, I, you know, I didn't. I didn't necessarily catch the racial stuff in It's a Wonderful Life, but you know what I did catch that was real, real crazy and, like, kind of troubling? 
fucking Jimmy Stewart kept trying to step on Donna Reed's uh, robe and we, like make it come off her. We talked it's about like, it. Yeah. Boy, you creep. <laughs> uh, no, but as far as this goes, um, now if we we could harp on this kind of stuff because that's this time periods change and whatnot. But yeah, like you said, there's not even an attempt to kind of validate any of that. Uh, but as far as you know, positives go. Like I said, it looks really good. As far as the violence goes, unfortunately, we've been desensitized. We were before we recorded talking about fucking Rob Zombie movies for Christ's sake. Uh, but definitely could see where this was violent as shit for the time. Yeah, I had to. Anytime I thought back and and remembered, reminded myself that this was from '69, and then yeah, of course it's shocking as well. Hell, and I really. I think that okay, so I'm not giving it enough props, probably, uh, definitely, for. I guess with all its meandering, it's still a pretty unflinching depiction of violence and and what it would be like back then. That's why I, I will give them partial credit as far as, uh, you know, if you take the Magnificent Seven, right, and then then you just say, but what would it really be like? Yeah, and then you dirty them up and you make them just horrible people even like the ones you're supposed to be sympathizing with. And uh, and then, well, it's a genre, it's a type of story that doesn't really have much room for women. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of understand what he's going for, but but there's still... It, it, well, to kind of piggyback on that, the whole meandering and the different uh, you know things that we may not be the most comfortable with, that type of thing, what you can say about it, that it is a huge positive length, story, character traits, all that... It's clearly uh, Pickapaw had a vision for the movie he wanted to make, and like you said, made it in an unflinching fashion. He saw it out to be what he wants it to be, which, in the end, tells a good story. It's it's interesting too that the trust was put in the audience to kind of piece the story together, because a lot of times, especially back in fifties and sixties, as far as film goes, it's a lot of everything's explained to you or kind of here it is type stuff, and. The flashbacks do kind of piece together the story, but at the same time, the audience is left to interpret a lot of it on their own. Yeah, I mean, we're here like trashing uh, this movie that Curtis loves. So before I even I, I get to things I like, I, I want to hear from him. I don't know. Are you angry? <laughs> no, I mean, not particularly. I'll be honest. This is the first time I've ever watched the movie with people. I've only ever seen this movie alone. So It, it makes a difference to be wearing clothes. It was kind of... <laughs> It was kind of interesting, you know, wondering what other people saw because, you know, I, you know, as far as I knew, since I only ever watched it by myself, it was always just like this thing that was above reproach. And, you know, this first viewing was the first time I figured out there was something about it that I don't really like. (laughs) And that's uh, that's the music, actually. I mean, I I wasn't kidding around like like the the music is kind of bad and it gives it gives it like a goofier tone than it should at times. Like it's really discordant and jarring but then other times it's like appropriately like rousing and adventurous but you know but um, i would say even when it's rousing and adventurous it's not memorable and maybe that's the point i mean maybe it's not meant to be memorable uh yeah but of course it's no magnificent seven exactly but but maybe that's that could be the point i remember we finished watching magnificent seven i had that theme in my head yeah and and here i just all I remember is, oh, well, there was music and some of it wasn't good <laughs> or didn't seem to fit. Uh, but no, I, I, you know, it's the whole thing just feels very, uh, uh, like you were saying, that's what Peckinpah wanted to do. So I can't imagine that, the, oh, well, he just, 
decided that he didn't care about the music and yeah. you know whatever it's i'm sure that it it was exactly what he intended uh but you were talking about how it's like on, in your top five right yeah it, obviously and, you've seen more westerns <clears throat> than i have top five westerns right right yeah okay so what makes it be in the top five as opposed to maybe top ten uh the the set pieces are memorable that's that's like the biggest one like the tr the train heist is really really awesome i never really um you know it wasn't wasn't my favorite uh sequence but i didn't realize until this viewing like how close like the train sequence is to the end of the movie which is just like you know go for broken awesome but you know that uh the train sequence is just like a steady build of tension and then of course you know having seen breaking bad since the last time <laughs> that i that i watched you know magnificent 7 like it just sort of puts the the train heist in into a whole new uh, frame uh yeah I, I really like that i i think that definitely the the three big sequences the and another good. thing is like of all of the random images from the movie that stick in my head uh the uh <clears throat> the bridge being blown up and all of them falling into the water and then you know you see that Robert uh, that Robert Ryan has survived. Yeah. That's like the the one sequence that I think about most oftenly, just at random. Uh, yeah, I, they I think, tips him the hat. Oh yeah, that and see that's kind of like those little moments I do like because he tips him the hat, but he also because he tips him the hat before the bridge blows up, and yeah. then when the bridge blows up, the horses go crazy, and uh, you see William Holden like his smile kind of freezes, and then for. For a couple shots, he's just not sure that this is cool. And then once they're done falling and you can tell they're still alive, then he, he's like, okay, it's all cool. And yeah, then he, yeah. he turns away and goes. I That's, noticed that too. That was really great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he never they, – they never intended to kill anyone with the way that they blew the bridge. They just wanted uh, they just wanted to stop their pursuit. What's your favorite Western? Um, I really like Once Upon a Time in the West – and then, you know, Unforgiven is probably right below that. And then I think number three is uh, For a Few Dollars More, which is the second of the Leone uh, Eastwood trilogy. I I really... See, I haven't seen that many. I, I, I would say, because just length alone, I don't know that I would ever watch this again unless it was a very special occasion. But uh, I just remember what we were talking about, all this stuff. I just remember... What? Because you were talking about like watching people's reactions, how you've never seen it with anybody else, right? And I remember laughing at the end in the final shootout when that woman shoots him, and then the kid shoots Bornine, and yeah. and it's okay. There's no way that's intended to be funny, but why did it make me laugh, right? And it's because of how uh, underrepresented they've been over the movie, or overrepresented in the, in the the case of the of the kid. But it's almost that when it happens, it's just an accidental punchline where you just go, "Oh, of course!" Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that made me laugh. So and then, of course, fucking uh, Bishop turning around, bitch, and then shooting her. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's only through sheer force of will that women haven't killed them already, but they've always been the bane of their existence. If everything about the movie is to be believed. Right, but but there's a. It becomes a little unintentionally funny when you just add up the body count of of women, and and again, I'm sure it's intentional. I'm sure he he was trying to make a point, but you know he had you have 
Angel's and Hill's girlfriend getting shot. You have uh, Holden's woman getting shot it's also kind of amazing that they show you that whole group of women who go to hide under the table before the final shootout starts and it's kind of amazing that the camera never pans to them to show you that they're all dead i mean they probably are but the camera never shows us right you never see like a dead kid either and there's no way that at least one of them didn't get shot in that massive shootout uh but i kind of love the ending not enough to make me watch the entire movie again, but the ending, I thought, I I kind of imagined it has to have been a bit of a mindfuck for the audiences in 69. It was a bit of a mindfuck for me, like watching it here, because I did not expect it to go that way. Yeah. Where they, they just kind of go off to the next Western, mm-hmm. you know, the survivors. Tommy Lee Jones at the end of uh, No Country for All Men suddenly is faced with this other guy that's still... He's a general character, and he he just says, "Hey, do you want to go on another one? Do you want to do another one? Since you're still alive, okay." And then they go. It's the type of uh, my favorite type of movie ending, especially in situations like this, where it's the character acknowledging their fate and going with it. Like in uh, the case of um, Deke, you're just like, "Oh well, yeah, this is what I am. Might as well embrace it." Yeah, and and but also, I guess as a I don't know that he's necessarily deconstructing the genre in this movie, but just as as he's playing with the tropes and just taking them in a different direction and then showing you... Because I think what this movie does a lot is just taking what a normal Western would be and then show you what it looks like in a slightly more realistic or hyper-realistic way, yeah. right? And then, I mean, that's how The Magnificent Seven ends. Uh, uh, Yul Brynner and... Uh, Steve McQueen? Steve McQueen. They ride off into the sunset... Uh, on you know their next adventure, and then doesn't, it, uh, isn't Chico the other one that survives? No, Chico stays behind. Yeah, no, no, no. I was just saying he was the other one that survives. Right. Yeah, but they they ride off, and it's kind of a cause for celebration. There's no, you don't really see the weight of all the dead people. Yeah. On their shoulders, but in this movie, it's the Charles exact same Bronson's thing. Bronson's just dead in the background somewhere. <laughs> right. In this movie, you get a solid two minutes at least of of. Uh, what's his name? You know, just sitting there outside the town, just pondering about all the deaths, everybody that's died, and then the old guy comes, and they just go off into the next adventure. But they ha- they're carrying that weight that you don't usually see. Well, you can tell also it weighs on the the weight that he's carrying and what it's really about for him. Or Robert Ryan lets uh, his posse just take the banditos back for the reward, and he doesn't really want any part of it. There is also like it's. Because the violence has stopped at that point, but it did stick with me for whatever reason. That uh, last kind of just visceral, not even violent, but just kind of realistic twist on it, where the one of the members says to the other, "He's like, we got to get going. These boys are going to be right by sunup." And it's like, oh, that's that's gross. Yeah, I heard you have a, a, a loud reaction to uh, after after they shoot uh, Anhill's girlfriend or ex girlfriend. And now they're inside, they're drinking and talking about the, the heist. And suddenly these women come across the room and they're carrying her body. Yeah. And you were like, oh. <laughs> it was just oddly placed. I mean, again, the realism factor and also the strong Catholicism in communities like that, especially in the time period that the movie's based in. Yeah, that shit would happen. But it was just like, oh, Jesus. Just, these men are drinking tequila and fucking whatnot and they're just carrying this body through 
Yeah, I I, I like all those like, touches. Hurry up! And like they were just like one step away from kicking him in the ass. Honestly, I'm having more fun talking about it than I did watching it. I agree, and a lot of it too is watching it and realizing that uh, my um, desensitization—that's even a fucking word—that really plays against me. When we're talking about it, I can think about it in retrospect how probably shocking and jarring it was to audiences at that time. Me watching it right now, I'm just like, yeah, and then, I don't know. And Curtis, you've seen a Serbian film, so I don't know if anything can bother you. Oh, God. Dude, you know, Serbian film is like the only thing in my life that I've ever compartmentalized. I, I don't, You're bringing it up again. It's I don't, very deep in that schema. I don't know how it happened, but... I never think about it unless someone says the words. Like I'm I can, I can, I can help. I can think about almost any, anything else I've ever seen or anything else I've ever heard, but I never say or I never think about it unless someone says the words. But would you agree it's it's easier for us to watch this kind of stuff? But like when you put yourself in that mindset, kind of like we're talking about right now, this would have been really jarring to audiences watching it at that point in time. Oh yeah, um, they this this would have been like the first like violent like hyper realistic violent bloody western they'd seen i mean you know pe- people didn't bleed from bullets you know before this man and yeah you can tell that pickapod discovered the squib and fell in love with it man because they are a plentiful in this film <laughs> just how like george lucas his direction there were times when louder straight up like if there was gore on the on the suit i was like man i would just be like did I wonder if they use dog food or like, what is it? Like, what's it made of? Cause you know, it's, it's there to ponder for a change. Yeah. yeah it's, it, and it's pretty unrelenting. I really, uh, desensitize is a good word, but also, and I think it applies to everything else that maybe bothers me a little bit about the movie that, well, all these years later, I can recognize the tropes and I'll be like, well, but I saw this done in a better way or in a way that fits more with my, with my sensibilities in the last 10, 20 years. Uh, and it's that is unfair to a movie that did it when nobody else was doing it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can talk about how, you know, oh, well, it's just so kind of dumb and made me laugh that, that the woman shoots him and then that the kid shoots him. I but mean, I'm sure that back then it was also kind of a mind blower. You I did don't not expect a woman to shoot the main guy in a Western. I don't think we're necessarily laughing because it's not it's not well done. I mean, part of part of why we're laughing is like the audacity, because I mean, Wild Bunch is fucking 38 years old, and I've never seen a child ride a dead man. <laughs> oh well, that part, yeah. <laughs> that. So like you know, part part of it is just like the audacity. Um. I've never seen a child ride a dead man, but I'm holding my hope. <laughs> 38, is that it? It'd be 48. Uh, you know what? You're right. 48. Yeah. Sorry. No worries. Um, but yeah, it's definitely putting yourself in that time period. And like you said, the the ending, that would be pretty shocking to see fucking the main actor killed by a woman at that point in time, despite the fact that it doesn't do much for the gender <laughs> leading into that moment. But um, yeah, it's always... It's always kind of a crapshoot going back and watching older movies for the first time because you know there will be those handful of ones that blow your mind genuinely uh, at how good they are and how well they age. And then there's things like this where there's definitely things like we're talking about you can pick apart that are very redeeming and in this case you know revolutionary for the time. But there's a lot of things that don't hold up. You know, I, I I'm sorry. This might this might be pulling us backwards, but. Uh... 
We we have yet to acknowledge that, you know, in spite of like all the misogyny in the movie, clearly it has its opinions about women. But when you get right down to like what's buried in, you know, beneath all the rage, like these guys are all fucking romantics. That's how they got into like the worst situations of their lives. Okay, I think you may be pushing it a little bit. I don't. Th I don't think that the brothers have a romantic bone in their bodies. I mean, they've got a bone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but their their uh, their lady friends might have had romantic bones in their bodies. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're you're welcome. No, Holden no, um, and Bornine, and maybe the old guy, but that's. And and I don't know that I know I don't mean I don't even necessarily mean like romantic in the sense of like you know we're we're talking about like revering an era I mean fucking William Holden like he he fucking loved that woman you don't you don't stand there and let a woman slap the groceries out of your hands if you don't fucking love her like you just straight up don't do that and you know he's. You know, don't, he, don't, uh, he knew the risk of how freshly separated she was. Don't put and that he, on your match profile. And he, fucking, he fucking stayed. Like, yeah, he was he was a romantic. Yeah, but no, but him, yeah, him and Bornine, yeah. and uh, But then the rest, I, I think that they're, I think there's very little on the side of redeeming qualities other than, whoa, these are the guys who we're following, so we yeah. kind of root for them. Um, now, I mean... Fucking Robert Ryan, that dude is a romantic with a capital R. That's the guy following them, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, Deke, Deke, Thornton. Deke Thornton, Deacon Thornton, <laughs> uh, Richard, Richard. <laughs> with all that being said, it's still too long. Yeah. Yeah, that's because I just thought of this, which you know, is. <laughs> it's funny you guys talk about how it's way too long. And you know, and the meandering and stuff, but uh, when I, when I picked up the DVD case earlier, and I was like, "Oh, 145 minutes. How about that?" <laughs> I thought it'd be longer. <laughs> well, you know, I'm guilty of, and our previous guest Reed always harps on me for. He says the Mattis rule: if it's one second over 90 minutes, it's immediately <laughs> a bad movie, which isn't true. I, there's plenty of movies I love that are. I, I love There Will Be Blood, and that's right around three. I yeah. Think. Um, pacing and also it, the thing about this movie is you can tell the story in a quicker amount of time. Yeah, and, and but like I said at the beginning, I don't know that the end would have the impact if you haven't spent two and a half hours mm -hmm. with them. But I kind of wish that two and a half hours were better spent. Uh, uh, you know, there was more interesting stuff than just seeing the brothers hanging out with the girls or the guys at the sauna or or, or just all the dead space that that's in the movie, which. It, I understand it's part of what Peckinpah was trying to say about the genre, but as an audience, I'm trained to just, I want more stuff happening. Yeah. If you're taking two and a half hours of my life, I want more story. Uh, and and especially, you know, because it's an older movie, it's a lot of stuff that I'm already familiar with. I already know where things are going. So I, I just, you know, I, I want something different. Now, because of William Holden, I, it, it, and I brought up Sunset Boulevard earlier, and it's what I was thinking. And I'm, I watched Sunset Boulevard, and to me, that's a movie you could make today. And that's, I mean, you want to talk about sun, uh, uh, Timeless, that to me is, is closer to Timeless. Mm -hmm. uh, where I just, I remember watching Sunset Boulevard, and it all worked in a way that that doesn't all work in this movie. Mm -hmm. And that's an older movie. I mean, yeah. that's William Holden when he was a, a heartthrob. Uh, heart Everything that Billy Wilder does 
is timeless. You you could make it today. You'd be lucky to make anything that Billy Wilder's made today. But did he make a western? <laughs> you know what? I I don't think he did. So ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but know. he he made the ultimate Mrs. Doubtfire movie. Some like it hot. <laughs> I think I own that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because I have one of those uh, Billy Wilder sets or Marilyn Monroe sets. Marilyn Monroe sets, yeah. Which, yeah. Anyway, uh, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's always kind of difficult when we get to this portion of the podcast because our whole mission statement is to prove that, you know, well, one, Rotten Tomatoes isn't a deciding body or anything like that, but also how these things are subjective. I typically go with the letter grade is what I usually do. And with this... um, Factoring in everything that we've talked about, I would still give it a solid B. I, I mean, I think its legacy uh, is more the sum of its parts than the actual results. Yeah, but but it's always tough to judge this. Okay, so what do you say, right? Are you are you factoring in the legacy? Are you factoring in the the circumstances around the time it was released, or are you judging it as, as if okay, let's say it was released today? Well, then it would be this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the visuals went a long way for me in terms of set pieces and uh, the locations and things like that uh, yeah that that's what is difficult about doing this because one this movie was released today that shit right after wonder woman man there'd be all all kinds of shit going on (laughs) uh i mean what do you so you say a b Mm -hmm. right i would give it four stars because of the legacy but uh if it was released today, I would give it maybe three. Yeah, and uh, and it's not a knock on the performances or on the cinematography. It would just be I would just walk out of it saying, "Why did it have to be two and a half hours long?" <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, the actual start to finish movie that I watched. I I my main takeaways were it was too long, and you know things we vented, but there's also good to it. Um, I, and like I said, I love the ending. The the ending is why I have, I guess, no problem giving it the four stars for the legacy because I think the ending is an amazing ending today, and I can only imagine how amazing it was back then. Yeah, where they were like, "Holy shit!" Uh, I always think about that with uh, Carrie. I know I've wrestled with that like the last five episodes, but that's uh, that's the same thing. The ending works today, but then like thinking back then, like, "Holy shit!" This would have like fucked people up. Um. I'd be surprised if you're not like a five stars or well, you grade them on four stars, right? Yeah, no, I mean it, it's it's four all the way. Like, it's good, you know. It's solid rotation, played a couple times a year. Right on. Well, um, anything to add before we move on? Uh, no, I think that that's. I I feel bad saying that I wouldn't watch it again because I really wouldn't because it's just so long and. But you know what? To be fair, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch Magnificent <coughs> Seven again. Here's, I haven't even watched the remake. Here's what I would here's what I'd recommend. If you if you like the ending to the Wild Bunch, but you want to watch a different movie that has the same ending, there's a movie by Walter Hill called Extreme Prejudice. The ending is totally fucking Wild Bunch, but you get lots of really awesome things. Like you get the rare uh William Forsyth as a good guy. <laughs> Rip Torn as an action hero. That's amazing. And yeah, you should you should watch that because the ending is is totally wild bunch, and they're they're all like no hashtag. There's hashtag no hashtag totally wild. There's bunch. probably no uh, 
there's I I don't remember there being too terribly much misogyny in the movie. There's there's a little bit of racism. I mean, I understand, but, but there, but the the people the people are, you know, they're they're nobler. Like when you get right down to it, more noble. <laughs> yes, Barnes and Noble. They're, they're noblest, noblest people you'd ever hope to meet in your life. I. I I mean, I don't have a problem with the. the no, that's a, that's a stretch. But no, I I think that uh, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because that reminded me that I actually the people that criticize the movie for being too violent. I'm sure that lady is not the only one. You yeah. know, the one the review. That, I don't have a problem with the violence today, or you know, 28 years ago, 38 years ago. I wouldn't. 48. That, 48. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think that the violence is a problem, and I don't think that the uh, the fact that they're all kind of scumbags is a problem. I don't have a problem with that ever in movies because I don't think that this movie is glorifying it in any way. It's just that's just who they are, and I think that that's that's part of the idea that most of the characters you would see in a western they wouldn't be clean cut oh. good guys. Oh shit! That reminds me of that uh, that great uh, William Holden line at the beginning. It, I think it's I think he says it to Angel. He's like, he's like, you either live with it or we leave you. And it's like, you guys can barely fucking live with it. Anybody moves, shoot him. All right. So that was the Wild Bunch. Uh, Curtis, we thank you for being here with us again. Oh, you're welcome. And it certainly won't be the last time. Uh, if somehow we end up concluding this Western trilogy, we'll definitely have you on. Um, now, of course, moving along to plugs. First and foremost, the festive years for our opening and closing music they provide to us. Uh, I believe they're on iTunes, Bandcamp. Just search the festive years. The album is Don't Let Me Use You, and that is the festive years. Opening track being our last stand, closing track being summer of 1999. Uh, Curtis, do you want to plug anything while you're on this week? Um, no, actually, I don't I don't have anything to plug, unless unless you want me to tell you not to see Baby Driver. Well, that's funny because my plug is Baby Driver. Uh, Curtis is in the minority here. Not even Armand White disliked the movie, so that oh, tells. Wow. You, yeah. Oh, but he did. He did still say insane things that no one in the world would ever say. Yeah, if you want to laugh, you can read the Baby Driver review. Uh, well, if you want to laugh and be like very uncomfortable, uh, but but no, the movie is is great. I would say just go watch it before it goes away. And by the time this comes out, it'll be out. Hopefully, it's still playing, but it's. I liked it. It's 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 a lot of fun. If you liked Scott Pilgrim, it's kind of like that. It's Edgar White, or yeah, Edgar Wright. Edgar yeah. wrong. It has a it has that vibe, that energy, but it's it's less of a comedy and more of a just action. I saw it's heist. Got a, a gun toting John Ham in it. Oh god! So if you like John Ham, Ham sandwich. <laughs> I've been I've been dealing with this for two days now, but. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. My other plug is uh, for Hans Gruber and the Diehards. That's another band. Uh, our friend TJ. Oh, you've met TJ, yeah. right? Yeah. He's a maniac. He is a maniac. And, uh, yeah, he actually has, like, an album now. He He's like, have you listened to the album? And I said, no, but I will plug it. <laughs> It's I've listened. I've seen I've seen them play hey, live. Instead of saying, like, a socket to me, do they say Nakatomi? God, you need to stop. We're, we're, we're done with We were doing okay on this, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he uh, 
they have they have their album on Bandcamp and uh, and you can look up the videos on YouTube apparently. So yeah, I've seen them play live both times. Uh, I had to wear earplugs. That's how loud they fucking play. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's been a lot of fun. I've seen videos of their performances. Yeah, they're pretty out of control. Uh, my plug is for the Big Sick. I went and saw that last night. It is absolutely fantastic. As I make allusions to all the time on this podcast, it is uh quite an effort for me to get out and actually go to a movie theater these days and um i went out and saw that last night with a friend of mine and thought it was absolutely fantastic uh ray romano and holly hunter in particular their performances are absolutely stellar so i believe it's in limited right now but uh it'll probably get a wide and based on the numbers it's doing so far it'll probably be around for a little while so uh, by the time this comes out you still should be able to catch it in the theater that's that's good to hear i really like the main guy uh oh, i don't remember his name uh, but he's in Silicon Valley, which is a great show from HBO that you should watch, Alex. He's it's, also in Portlandia. That's where I first found about him, found out about him. Uh, but yeah, it's it's great. So the uh, okay, the future. We're in episode forty three, mm-hmm. and uh, so we just had this big masculine, male dominant, testosterone fueled uh, movie. About the gin blossoms. <laughs> yes, and uh, so ne- next we have a stretch of uh, our long teased uh female filmmakers mm-hmm. uh i guess marathon uh we'll do 44 to 49 and then 50 is uh cloud atlas and then 51 is american hustle yes as curtis walks away from the recording desk uh just shouting in the background yeah so Here's like our lineup for uh for the next six episodes. Forty four, Ian Flux, Ooh. directed by Karen Kusama. Uh, I think very appropriate given that everybody's just going crazy over Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. as if there hadn't been a sort of female superhero a long time ago. And what did they do when that movie came out? Because I guess they they just shunned it. Uh, Forty five, Lost in Translation from Sofia Coppola. Uh, Forty six, Electra. 46 is Bewitched by Nora Ephron. Oh. 47, Zero Dark Thirty, Catherine Bigelow. That's, that's <laughs> the maddest episode. Yeah. Uh, 48, Looser by Amy Heckerling. Yes. Uh, 49, we close with Big by Penny Marshall. Great film. But Loser would be the long-anticipated, long-delayed, way-overdue <laughs> podcast debut of Jason Bateman. Have we not had him at or, all? Excuse me, Jason Biggs. <laughs> Yeah, no, Bateman's been a couple Jay of times. Yeah, no, Bateman's yeah. a regular. Yeah. Uh, we did mention very briefly Jason Biggs in the uh, Finales Bonus episode when I was talking about Jersey Girl. That's right. And we and I think that's when we realized that we needed more Biggs. We, we, we wet the tip. We realized we need to <laughs> get some more Jason Biggs in there. Yeah. And then, as mentioned, uh, 50 would be Cloud Atlas, 51, American Hustle, unless for some reason we can't figure out the logistics with Chaz because we're not doing American Hustle. We're not putting ourselves through that. No. Unless our, our Australian friend is there with it's, us. It's funny because they're actors dressed in 80s clothing. It's hilarious. But anyway, so that is that. Oh, I, I wanted, if we can get to a bonus episode about Glow, then we should do it. Okay. Revisiting? No, well, yeah, like the new show. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I got a follow up. Because I heard they put the documentary on Netflix too, with, along with the show. 
Oh, really? Yeah, that's so. that's awesome. That's pretty. I think that it works well. I mean, at least if I watch the documentary, it would make me interested in watching the show. Yeah, and I tell everyone that is like because I'm the wrestling guy. Like uh, friends are like, "Hey, have you watched Glows?" Like, "No, have you watched the documentary?" They're like, "Was it a real <laughs> thing?" I was like, "Yes." Yes, of course, Manny's. Come on, fucking Saturday afternoons. And it was awesome. With that in mind, that's going to conclude this episode of The Conference. Uh, we, as always, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, but uh, never forget that we are right and you are wrong, and we will catch you next time. Get in the car, I'll grab the keys. Let's go make this summer one that's full of memories. You won't regret it. I know a place outside of town I think you'll really love it At night when no one is around We'll drive into the sunset Promise me you won't forget That summer of Don't ever fucking cut me off again, Curtis, alright? <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the Wild Bunch. It was wild, and it was bunchy. Bunch. <laughs> it was bunchy. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Just say whatever stupid oh, no, pun you're going to say. Since he said, found out about him, I was like, why, why don't we close this episode with uh, little gin blossoms this time? Okay. Found out are you going to sing it? Uh, please don't. Please don't. No, no, no that was, I, that was a joke. I've seen the gin blossoms twice in concert. You could not do them justice, sir. Wait. Are they still, are they still together? Yeah, I, I would like to go to one. Yeah, I saw I've yeah I saw them at Antones, the original Antones, before it closed. That's neither here nor there. But yeah, the uh, Jim Blossoms are still together. Okay, so the future, we're real quick. Look out on that. I'm gonna go. Uh, so we're in 43, right? Correct. Okay, hey, so this. Do you, do you think it'd be all right if I could just crash here tonight? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna use that as the end tag of the episode. Uh.